Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today, we sit down with the co-founder and CEO of Burn Bioanalytics, a biotech company focused on developing quick, scalable genetic and pathogen testing for cannabis cultivators. His background includes experience as a bioinformatic analyst at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and an associate research scientist in bioinformatics and data analysis at Harvard Medical School. And so without further ado, let's jump right into it. Nathan Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, thank you so much for for being here with us today. Nathan, I think an awesome place, and I, I always love to kind of take it from the top uh, on these conversations. How did you get into the, the cannabis industry? Um, I don't think your career started out that way, and I don't know that you necessarily had intentions on jumping into this space. So if you could just kind of bring us back to, you know, square one uh, and take us through, you know, how you got to where you are today with Vern, I think that would be a great, great place to start. Yes, um, this, that's a great place to start, especially with that introduction. Um, Harvard Medical School and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, there's not a clear path on how that overlaps with cannabis right. by any means. Um, and so uh, to further extend that, I actually, after leaving those institutions, I actually worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a couple of years. And so it, it brings back to why cannabis and why that transition. Um, and it comes down to two main reasons. Um, the first is cannabis is an amazing plant. It has many uses. And one of those uses that came across my table is the use in cancer. Um, I saw a study a number of years ago of applying different isolates of cannabis to cancer cells and seeing the profound range of how it affects it. And I thought, got really excited that this is a really interesting application. And then my other application is one of my co current co-founder at the time, he was just a contract lawyer. He was writing in a lot of sub contracts for hemp growers in Massachusetts around 2018 when the farm bill came about. And he said, hey, look at this industry. They need someone like your background to come in and help them with breeding purposes. And so those two observations drew me to the cannabis industry as this is something that is very powerful. But at the same time, it, it lacks a lot of the hard science that is needed to bring cannabis to the 21st century in terms of agriculture. And so that's what drew me to the industry is how can we help? How can I come into this industry that is so profound? That's amazing. I, I, I'm always such a big fan of folks who come in, and I think a lot of people do, uh, come into this space from the medical uh, side of things and how they want to really help improve access to just quality medicine for patients who are trying to figure something, something that's going to, you know, help treat their ailments. And so I think that's amazing. I guess the, the thing, the, the one thing that was going through my mind as you were saying all of that was, okay, so you saw a need. Great. How did, did you immediately go from, okay, I see a need. I know I can fill that void. I'm going to start Vern. Or was there some kind of in between where maybe you you worked in an organization within the cannabis space to kind of get your feet wet? Or were you just like, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go all in. Let's just dive right in. Let's dive right in. Um, so I, I actually on the side while working for Harvard, while working for Dana-Farber, actually while working for pharmaceuticals, I was always doing a side hustle, trying to develop something that would have an impact on someone's life. And the the things that were I was developing at the time were more for, focused on the pharmaceutical sector in terms of trying to build something novel for them. Mm 
-hmm. And what what the challenge was, anybody will will tell you this when they try to develop a company, is that trying to find a good customer fit to what you're making, i.e., do you care what I'm making is actually useful? And at the time, um, I fell into the rabbit hole of as a PhD, you get exposed to some really crazy cool stuff, but it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it's actually applicable to anybody's lives. And so the things I was developing wasn't that useful. And when I got exposed to the canvas industry is I saw that there was a real need, there was a real market that needed new products developed. And I knew with the skill sets that we were doing, we could actually apply our, our, our skill sets in the area that would have a profound impact. And then that area that we chose to focus on is the genetic and pathogen testing market. And the reason for that is you, I talk about cannabis, I talk about cancer, why aren't we doing a cancer therapeutic company? And the answer is, is that if you can't grow the same plant consistently, it makes it very difficult for researchers or scientists or product makers to actually make the same products. Mm -hmm. And so rather than diving into that area, which is still a need that I want to go into in the years in the future, what I want to go back to is have a better understanding of the plant so that we can better apply that plant to patients. Because if we don't understand what is actually made in the plant that could actually have a profound impact, we're going to go down the wrong rabbit hole in terms of trying to figure out how to make this work. And so, for example, people talk about THC, CBD all day long, but there's 300 plus other things that are in there that could also have equally amount of impact, if not greater. And so I wanted to do, dive into more of making sure the growers are making a, a healthy plant before going into how to apply that plant to make someone's life better. And so we decided to go from that perspective and then eventually build our way up into a plant that is able to be used in a consistent manner, such as DW Pharmaceuticals did and with their epilepsy drug. But at the same time, um, if you can't make cannabis in the volume and the quality that is needed, it doesn't really matter what that result is unless you can do that. And on top of that, Pharmaceutical companies like to play with drugs that target one or two things at a time. And when you have a plant that can target 300 plus, that it's a very complicated problem to solve. And so need to make it simpler before making it complicated is how I would describe what we're trying to go focus on. Yeah. As that makes a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that, that you and your team at Verner focused on are genetic and pathogen testing, right? So can you kind of connect the dots between how what you're doing now really supports everything that you just described as kind of like your North Star uh, and your kind of like your your personal why and, and mission in this space? Yeah. So the going back to a consistent plant um, that go all everything in life goes back to the DNA. You and I have DNA. All of our cells have the exact same DNA in them, except how that DNA is used makes all the different functions possible. So if you think from the human perspective, we have over 300 different cell types that do different things, lung cell, heart cell, so on and so forth. But it's really how that DNA is used that makes all that stuff possible. Mm -hmm. Same thing can be applied to cannabis. And so that exact same reason on why you have a high THC plant or a low THC plant is all locked in that DNA. It's a blueprint. Now, obviously, how you grow, how you manipulate that, how you, what nutrients you give it changes what you can ultimately do. But unless you have stable DNA or what we call in the cannabis stable genetics, good luck trying to make the same plant. And so the genetic testing is one aspect of that. 
like say, for example, a very simple test that we have is, is this enzyme there that can make TAC present? Yes or no. Now, to know what quantity of TAC, to know what ratio of TAC to CB, to know what all these different things happen is a much bigger problem that deserves a lot more analysis, a lot more understanding. There's sequencing available for that purpose. Hmm. But you have to start simple before you can get complicated. Otherwise, you're not going to understand what the complexity means. And so the same thing goes with the, with the pathogen testing. So we are doing pathogen testing with the ultimate purpose to understand what makes the plant resistance to those pathogens. So if we don't know what pathogens are there, that's the first step. What is there that's causing harm? Mm-hmm. We know there's over 90 pathogens that affect cannabis, from insects to viruses to molds. But do all 90 of those pathogens actually cause harm that actually affects the grower's bottom line? No. But do we know which one? Also, the answer is no. All we know is grower is seeing symptoms. We do testing on it. We find, say, hops that enviroid that can affect and obliterate your field. But what else is there that could also cause harm? Because commonly when there's one virus, there's usually more. Because guess what? Aphids chew on one plant, they pass on to the next one, and so on and so forth. And they like to pass it around. Hmm. And so that's the challenge is that if you clean up one variety of one virus, but if you're not aware of what else is there, you don't know what you don't know. And so this is where these kind of things are, are important. Um, for example, there's a mitovirus that was discovered in, um, in Canada that is actually quite common in a lot of cannabis plants. But when you start comparing the plants that have it and don't have it, you don't see any physical difference. And so just because you have a virus doesn't mean the plant isn't resilient enough to be able to handle it. Because frankly speaking, if you see a 1% drop in nutrient intake, you may not even notice the difference. And so because cannabis can grow outside, it's a very resilient plant. doesn't mean that if, you, if it catches a cold, it doesn't mean it's going to just kill over and die. It's going to be mm-hmm. resilient. It's going to keep pushing on. And that's the same for a lot of these viruses, a lot of these different molds and mildews, is that just because you get part of mildew doesn't mean the plant just drops over and dies. It just means it looks sickly, but or possibly not as big of it. And so that's where the genetic and pathogen testing comes in, is it really wraps into the plant health analytics that we are rebranding ourselves as to explain what that actually does for our grower. So yeah, that was a little that's... bit of a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I trust me. I, I love this stuff. And I'm not I'm not fluent when it comes to cultivation and, and all of the intricacies behind it. So this is super fascinating to me. And this may be a very silly question. But you mentioned how there are certain viruses or things that may, or pathogens that may attack a plant. And sometimes they may show physical signs and a grower may look at a, a particular plant and say, Okay, wow, this particular plant is being attacked. And it may have jumped over to another plant but the plant is not showing any visible signs. So what my question is, is let's say the, the, the plant that is not displaying any, any signs of being attacked by a pathogen. Let's say that plant just goes undetected and it ends up being utilized in some way, shape or form uh, for medicine. Does that necessarily uh, negatively impact the, the final product that is then uh, pulled out or extracted from the plant. Um, because as you mentioned, cannabis is very resilient, right? It can grow outdoors. It's, you know, it can, it can weather the storm in that sense. So how much of an impact do, do pathogens and things like that have 
um, on the final products, which ends up turning into to medicine for patients. And is it, and I guess one of the, to tag onto that also is, is it like an entirely blanket statement, yes or no? Or does it vary sometimes depending on the strain or the genetics uh, of a particular plant? So the common answer that I have when it comes to anything related to a biology question, especially when you're coming with kind of like a multi-choice question, is that yeah. it's usually all the above because okay. biology is complicated. And so really what the go-to answer is, it depends. Mm -hmm. So the, the first answer, first easy way to answer that question is, will the plant virus affect a human? The answer is usually no, because there's a fundamental difference between us and a plant. And so that same virus that infects cannabis is really, really unlikely to affect your health. So when you smoke it, when you use it, generally speaking, it's not going to affect you at all. Um, saying that, there's obviously, there's always, but there's always going to be a an exception. Um, any role in biology, there's always an exception just because mm -hmm. it's biology. That's just the way things are. There's life will find a way if you want to quote Jurassic Park. Um, and so that aspect won't necessarily do it, but the aspect of, will cannabis respond to that virus? The answer is definitely. Hmm. So are there cannabinoids, are there terpene profiles that respond due to it being infected, doing it being infected by virus A versus virus B, doing it have mold in the area? The answer is definitely. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? Cannabinoids and terpenes are there due to some reason why cannabis. Cannabis isn't making those just to make you feel better, it's doing it to, for survival purposes. So for example, um, the thought on why there's trichomes to begin with is because it's sticky. It makes it really hard for insects to actually infect the plant. That is that. one reason on why that happens. Another reason is that if the plant gets dehydrated, if it gets stressed out, it'll make different cannabinoids and terpenes based on that response. And so all these different environmental factors, the plant is responding to something and it's making it. It's just not making it just because it feels good. It's making it because it's trying to say attract a certain pollinator, which is why it will make different terpenes. It, it will uh, it will attract trying to attract different pollen. There's lots of different reasons on why the plant is making these things. And so when you get an infection, the plant's going to respond to that infection in a certain way. Um, I don't know how true this is just because the prevalence of pathogen testing versus overlapping with what cannabis profile that's out there. That doesn't happen very often. There's not a lot of data to actually support that. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least on why a certain novel profile that comes out of cannabis wouldn't actually be related to, say, a viral infection. Hmm. Um, there actually is a couple of examples, anecdotal evidence that we have from different growers that say, oh, we have this variety. And I will tell them, look at those symptoms. It looks like a, a mosaic virus. And they're like, yeah, we know there's a virus in there. I'm like, that's probably the reason why you get that novel variety is not because of the genetics. It's because of the actual virus that's there that's causing a response to that change. And so when it comes to medical purposes or trying to come out to the final product, the reason why that's happening may not be a bad thing. But you do need to understand that's why that's happening and how it's happening. Because otherwise, you're going to get down the another rabbit hole of thinking it's nutrients or thinking something else. But when it's actually that response that's happening, then that means if you wanted to actually apply that as medicine to the FDA, you would now have to list that your mechanism of action is using this virus to manipulate the cannabis to get to that focus. Whereas if you don't know that's actually how it's happening, 
there's lots of rabbit holes. There's lots of reasons on why things fail when it comes to the medical purposes. On average, drugs fail 80% of the time when it comes to trying to apply it to a person. So the, the, the chance of failure is always high. And so knowing more about how things work is how you get around that. It's how you can make better experiments. That's how you can make it better grow. That's how you can make sure that your bottom line is not affected on how you produce your plants. Because if you have, say, a, a root fungus that's in your water line that affects your roots, your plants can tolerate it to a certain point. But at what point is it going to make a difference? And that's where we can come in and help you figure out where that point is. Because just yes or no is what our tests tell you. But it doesn't mean that yes is always a bad thing. It just means that yes can be bad under certain circumstances. Um, just because you have, have hops like Enviroid doesn't mean it's going to ruin your grow. It depends on how much of it's there. Hmm. Um, and it's going to be the same for anything. Like you get a cold because you have a certain amount of the virus in your, in your system, just like COVID. Like a COVID test doesn't tell you you're going to show symptoms. You have to have a certain amount of it to actually make a difference. Um, the only reason why the government said that if you have a positive test, you need to stay home is because of how they're trying to handle it. Same thing with hops like Enviroid, just because you get a positive doesn't mean that it's going to affect your growth. It just means that it's a warning sign. It's a warning flag. Um, this may happen depending on certain environmental factors. Um, powdery mildew is a good example of this. Um, powdery mildew spreads through spores. So if you blow like flour or dust in your room, imagine how that spreads. That's how, that's how powdery mildew spreads. So if we test a plant, an outdoor hemp plant, we test the leaves, 99% of the time it's going to come back positive for powdery mildew because those spores are everywhere. Hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's infected. It just means the spores are there waiting for the ideal environment for them to pop and do their thing. Um, and so biology, like I say with most things, is, is a little bit complicated. And so you need to understand the context of what's going on in order to uh, use these tools appropriately. It's not just simply give us a test, we'll give you the answer, and that's it. Hmm. You need to have a conversation on what to do about it. Um, on that regard, you can't tell I'm passionate about this topic. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, that's why I was excited to have you on because I'm like, I feel like there's just a wealth of knowledge right here. And so like, and it's, it's interesting. So like, we're obviously much different from plants, but one of the things that was also running through my mind as you were describing everything with how specific genetics will sort of be telltale signs as to whether or not a pathogen or a spore coming up coming in contact with a plant or whatever it may be um it will kind of determine whether or not something will affect a plant right away or if to your point there it's kind of waiting for the ideal conditions for it to really kind of create a negative effect or, or impact the the health of the plant which is kind of like how we all have DNA code and some of us are born with um, mutations where, you know, one may be more sensitive to certain dietary uh, choices and things like that. Whereas another person could eat whatever they want and they're totally fine. They have no allergic reactions. So is it, is it fair to kind of compare those two situations in a way um, just for like a basic understanding how the genetic makeup of a plant of let's say strain A versus strain B um, that's sort of how it impacts the different sensitivities that they may have to different pathogens? Absolutely. Um, so think about genetics. So DNA, so just to get understand just how much information is there, um, if you were to pop open a single cell, 
um, to get to take a human cell just because that's a really good comparison. If you were to pop open that cell, the length of that DNA would be taller than a six foot person. That's how much material is present there. And then if you take all that material, different pieces get chopped up into like say genes, for example, different things come on and off and depending on that combination that gives the, the outcome that you're expecting. So if you take this back to a pathogen, um, so let's take a virus as an example. So the way that a virus actually infects something is it has some sort of receptor, it has some sort of access point that it gets access to that plant cell. It needs that access point to get past that membrane. There's actually two membranes in a plant cell, both around the nucleus as well as the, the basic cell. And so there's basically different gatekeepers that allow that virus to be able to get through there. And so if you have a mutation, for example, on that cell receptor, that slightly alters that cell receptor. So now that virus no longer is able to bind to it. You now have made a quote unquote pest resistant plant because now you've messed with the mechanism of action that that virus needs in order to infect that plant. Wow. Now, the challenge is, is that how much can you change or how much can be changed to make it pest resistant, but doesn't affect the plant actually doing its function. Right. So this is the going back to like say Hopsley and Viroid. The the current theory is that Hopsley and Viroid is small enough that it can bypass that membrane, but then it interferes with different metabolisms, and so therefore you get a slower or less nutrient rich plant, and therefore it's affecting normal function. And so if you were to make a plant resistant plant that's resistant to Hopsley and Viroid, you actually may make a stunted plant just by that fault alone. And so it's no longer actually worthwhile growing that plant because it's already not growing as vigorous as it should could be. And so there's there's always a, a arms race in terms of how to work with this. So like powdery mildew resistance, for example, there are several genes that are thought to provide resistance to that plant. But if you think of it from the mutation perspective, that gene has a normal function. Hmm. If you have a mutation in there, that may mess with the normal function of that gene. And so it's a, a trade-off on you need to have changes to make it so that it makes it very difficult for the pathogen to infect the plant. But you also need a balance of not too many changes that affects the normal function or the reason on why you want to grow that cultivar to begin with. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a, like, it's like I said beforehand, it's usually all the above in terms of that answer. Uh, there's lots of different subtleties on whether, why this versus that and why it takes a little bit more understanding and why you just can't just throw your hands up on, I want a PM resistant plant. And I always tell people, yes, we can make a test that tells you it has the resistant markers, but there's also a thousand other things that you may also want to know about that same plant that would have different degrees of understanding depending on how we test for it or how, how it explores. Um, and so that's, again, why why I think the industry as a whole is a little confused on what to do with these kind of tools because it's not it's not growing in the basement anymore. It's actually right. trying to understand how this whole thing grows um, and, and with all the different conditions that you need as a grower on how well to grow it. Um, and so... Back to your question of does the mutation, does does the changes in the DNA affect how this how this happens? The answer is definitely yes. Um, what happens? Um, there's different because we don't have, say, the USDA backing to help us with, say, do a sequencing project to understand all these different subtleties. There are a lot of wish haves 
versus a lot of data that hasn't been generated on how to understand this, for example. Um, and so it's going to be a balance of as time goes on, we'll get better at this. We'll get better at predicting things. We'll get better at, say, sequencing your plant at day one. And we could tell you all the things that are going to happen with the plant, depending on these different conditions. That will happen eventually, but there's different degrees of, of that that's available at, at the moment. That's amazing. And that's so, all. Yeah, it's all in our background. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm totally geeking out about this stuff i'm i've been like <laughs> diving deep into genetics and stuff like that lately so this is kind of like this is like a happy hour for me right now um <laughs> but i could go on for hours but nathan you and i actually originally connected at mj bizcon uh and yes. you were kind of giving me some insight into some of the new technology that you and your team have been developing can you can you just shed some light um and i'm gonna let you do the talking here can you just shed some light on <laughs> all of the the technology, the equipment, everything that you guys are developing right now and how it's addressing a lot of these these issues that you and I have been going back and forth on um, over the last half hour or so. Because uh, I think it's it's really, really critical for people to know that there are solutions to this. Um, uh -huh. And it's so much easier to do preventative maintenance than to try to come in and clean up a spill on aisle five that's going to cost you an entire year's worth of revenue. So the floor is yours <laughs> so um before we get into our products let's describe the three areas that we're kind of tackling just giving an idea of what we have now versus what we'll have in the future versus what we'll have in the future future hmm. um and so we do three different things one is we test for different genetic and pathogen traits so that what that means is we have mail-in testing you can send us a little piece of leaf and we'll tell you what pathogens are in there we can do 16 at the moment um, we can also give you some information on is it a gen is it a male or female, is it does it have a TAC gene, does it have a CBD gene, are they functional things of this nature, and we also have partners that we uh, work with that can actually give you sequencing data that we can really dive into the genetics of your plant, that can give you an ID, it can also give you some basic predictions on what it can do things of this nature that's all available right now. Um, the other side of the equation is that you may not want to wait for us to do the lab testing because obviously you have to mail it test and we have to run the test and we have to send you a report. So that usually has a two to three delay depending on how fast you mail it. We do next day results, but it still has a shipping problem. Um, the other area we, we call it the eye test. And what this does is it allows you to do the testing yourself on site on a limited basis. And what that does is it uses a highly sophisticated methodology that targets a sequence that identifies whatever you're trying to ask, well, in this case, Hobbes and viroid. It will amplify it to a, a certain degree until it changes a color. And so the tube will change color until it finds the target of interest. And so this can be done, like you can do a sex test in a matter of 30 minutes. You can take, take a little print pick of the leaf, throw it into the tube, incubate it. After 30 minutes, it will change colors if it finds the target of interest. And so those are the things that we're doing now. Those are the things that we have available now. And that is trying to address the problem of how do we make sure that you have a testing program in place that makes sure your plants are healthy all the time? Because you can't just do these tests once. You should do it on a regular basis because it gives you a heads up if there's something happened. Because these tests are so sensitive that you can literally brush your hand across a male plant and swab your hand and throw it in the tube and it will find those plant cells and it will amplify and it will change colors. So what it does is it gives you a warning. 
So in the case of hops, the Envirate or the Fusarium, Pythium, no matter what you're talking about in terms of different pathogen, it tells you, even if your plant's not showing symptoms, this is there. This is going to cause an issue for you in a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe not this cycle, but it may be next cycle that it pops up because the environment's not ideal at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so that is that solutions right now. Um, things that we're doing in the future is helping you breed into these different resistant markers into your plant. So ideal is preventative. There's no such thing as an antiviral for plants. Um, if you get viruses, there's not really a good solution besides throw away the plant, do tissue culture, which you can get remove it, but it's expensive and takes a while, mm -hmm. or just have clean sterile um, conditions. Those are really the only way to get rid of viruses, um, molds, really that's the only way to clean up molds really as well is just to clean up the whole area. And so testing gives you that warning. Testing lets you know if your cleaning practices are actually working, um, letting you know if there's certain symptoms that are showing up, why those are showing up, because it could be nutrient problems. It could be pathogen related. There's lots of nutrient issues that show up that looks like a pathogen or vice versa. And so having that kind of in your arsenal is really important. And then the other arm that we are working with is also working with different companies to test their products against these different pathogens. So when we get stuff in the mail, we actually isolate that pathogen. We actually biobank it. We study it. We do research on it. Um, we've had a cultivar of Hopsley Enviro going for three years now that we actually test it and work with it, trying to understand how it infects. And so we work with different companies to actually apply their products on Hopsley Enviro and ask the question, does it actually kill it? And the answer is most oftenly not. And so that is a problem because if you Google, say, hops that invite product killing, there's not going to be many results that are actually real because there's not a lot of testing that's done to actually validate this. Mm -hmm. um, most things that are done, they don't actually validate on the organism itself. They, all, they usually validate on an organism that's easy access that has similar characteristics as that one that you're trying to test for. And so... When they say we can kill all viruses, it just means that they've tested it on a couple of different viruses and they're extrapolating and saying that it's going to kill on all viruses. Have they tested on all viruses? No, there are thousands and thousands of them. Same thing with mold, same things with bacteria. There's millions of these things out there. They're not testing on all of them. They're just testing on a couple of candidates that they think are consistent with the ones that are actually infecting their plants. Mm -hmm. And so we're working with product makers. We're developing products to actually try to actually kill these things. Um, in such a way that will be validated and show a proof that it's actually working rather than just taking their word for it and trying it out. Um, yes, you may try it out. You may see your symptoms go away. It doesn't mean that you actually got rid of it. It just means that you reduce the level to a low enough level that you now become dependent on that product. And so that is the, the area that we're trying to focus on is those three different areas that to help people breed in those resistance, get rid of, clean it, Identify it, kill it, prevent it is really the model that we're going for with the is the genetics and pathogen perspectives. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious from from what you guys have seen so far as far as feedback. What you know, I'm I'm assuming a lot of cultivators are probably big fans of having the eye test in house, so that way they don't necessarily have to wait. They can just kind of do all the testing themselves, sort of on the spot, on the go as you know, potential issues may arise, but just kind of curious, what's been the feedback so far um, from cultivators who are implementing all this? So the common uh, feedback, so we call it I test and we test to try to make it really simple. Um, we test is based on a qPCR type methodology. 
eye test is based on isothermal. Um, but the, the main limitation is that the lab perspective will never go away because we have access to better tools than you'll ever have on site. Mm. Um, and so what, what the relationship that we have with a lot of growers is that we do a hybrid kind of approach. So we have the eye test on site where they do like weekly testing just to make sure everything's going well. And then on like a monthly basis or on a periodic basis, they'll send us a bunch of samples and we'll do a full panel test looking for everything. Trying to trying to do a regular preventative maintenance, trying to regular testing to see if there's any warning flags of what's coming in. And then they also do testing on any varieties on anything that comes into the facility because that presents a, a opportunity for new things to come in. So new seeds that come in, new mothers that comes in, new clones that come in, always making sure that you're not causing an issue because you don't you can't see it, you don't know what's there. And that is the common problem that we see from a lot of people is that people will say, oh, I got this big blow up. It's like, well, what have you been doing? Oh, we got a new variety that came in a couple of weeks ago. I was like, well, then there's your problem. Mm-hmm. Or they got new soil in, or they got new cocoa in, or they got new things that came in. And then all of a sudden they get this big blow up because of, they have now someone's come into their sterile environment. And so it's a always a moving target to make sure that it's always there having that surveillance because that gives you that kind of warning flag as to what's coming down the pipeline. Um, one thing that I will tell a lot of growers is that if you don't do testing, it's going to bite you eventually. And the problem is, is that your profit margins may be so low that you may not, your business may not be able to handle it. Um, I can't tell you how many businesses have gone out, out of business with us. We gave them a, a report of all these different things that are fine and we never hear from them again. And I'll hear, hear from them in the news next year that they went out of business. And I was like, well, not surprising there. Hmm. And so because you're talking, you're talking 30, 40% loss on your production. And if that translates to your ROI or your profit margin, most people can't handle those kind of profit margins and, and losing it. And so for the price of a plant or two on a monthly basis, we can basically try to, we can make a prevent a program to make sure that you don't have anything that creeps up. And that's really the, the offer that we work with people and the growers that we work with, they're able to clean up their grows. They're able to be profitable again. And it's happened at least 30 times now um, in terms of that kind of cycle over and over again. And it keeps happening. People, people, it's going to keep happening if you don't test. Um, I can always tell from a testing report who has clean, good cleaning SOPs mm-hmm. and who doesn't. Um, the ones that are completely filthy, it's you, you ask them, like, what kind of clean they do. They'll say, oh, yeah, we just throw bleach on it every once in a while. Well, that's good for that cycle. Like, guess what? Next time you cut a plant, you now you've reinfected the whole thing again. So viruses love opportunities, viroids love opportunities, pathogens love opportunities. You make a mistake once, you're going you're gonna to feel the pain for months. So unfortunately, just the way life is, um, that's just evolution at its natural selection at its best. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that makes so much sense. And especially right now, I think just from a, just from a business perspective too, I think right now the industry is really trying to hone in on, on profitability. Um, and maximizing margins, you know, just with all like the economic headwinds and and whatnot going on. Um, so no, I like this, this totally makes sense. And I appreciate you just sharing all your insight on, you know, from A to Z full spectrum from, you know, how this impacts businesses from a profitability standpoint, and then also just from a grower standpoint, how all of this ties in, and then ultimately what this, you know, all means for for quality and consistent access to, to good quality medicine for patients. Um, 
Nathan, before I let you go, I do have one question that I always ask guests and it's what has been one thing that you personally feel like you have learned from being involved in the cannabis industry that you feel maybe you wouldn't have picked up if you were working in a more mainstream traditional space? I don't know if this is necessarily unique to the cannabis industry, but I, what I would, I would say, and this is one reason why I love the cannabis industry is that there are so many different people that are in the cannabis industry that come from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely so much fun to ask the question about how they came into the cannabis industry, how they are growing or why they're growing, because you will get a lot of unusual stories on, on why that is because because cannabis is such an unusual plant. It's not corn, it's not soybean, it's not cotton. It's a it's a highly versatile plant that has such a profound impact that is just being realized now that to me is it's exciting to be part of an emergency, emergency market and be able to meet people that are all from all walks of life in terms of how they use this. Um, and I think the, the other area that is really, really surprising to me is that while a lot of these legacy growers don't necessarily know the scientific terminology, they do understand a lot of these scientific concepts. They just don't understand how to use it or how to explain mm. it. Um, they will commonly explain some phenomenon that they ta- they see. And I said, oh, yeah, it's this term from science. And they all have no idea what that term means. And I'm like, oh, this is what it is. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that is what it is. And so now we have a common basis on how to actually use it. Whereas beforehand, they just would observe it and they just throw their hands if they don't know what to do with it. And so it's to me, it's, it's, it's amazing how, how much people know about this plant without actually knowing the, the strict terminology that a scientist would be trained on. And so I love it all. I love this industry. I'm not going away anytime soon because I think this is just fascinating. Yeah, I, could, I, could totally, I totally appreciate that answer. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast too, is just being able to connect with people and learn how they got into the industry, why they got into the industry and, you know, why, why they're not leaving and why they're, why they're so ingrained into it. So Nathan, thank you again so much um, for folks who want to learn, uh, learn more about Vern, connect with you, have any questions for you. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? The best way is to go to Vern bio, V E R N E B I O.com. And just simply write out um, in our chat little box that comes up, just reach out there. It'll eventually get to me. Um, or info at vernbioanalytics.com will also get to me eventually. So look forward to having questions, thoughts, ideas. We always love talking to people because that's where the best ideas come from. Love it. All right, Nathan, thank you again. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.